month that Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came, he and all his army, against Jerusalem, camped against it, and built a siege wall all around it. So the city was under siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then the city was broken into, and all the men of war fled by night by way of the gate between the two walls beside the king's garden, though the Chaldeans were all around the city, and they went by way of the Araba. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. Then they captured the king and brought him to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and he passed sentence on him. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, then put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him with bronze fetters and brought him to Babylon. Okay, so you had in the last verse of chapter 24 that Zedekiah rebelled and that God's anger was against Jerusalem and Judah until he cast him out from his presence. So God uses Zedekiah's rebellion and he was determined to punish Judah so there really wasn't going to be any escaping this. Nebuchadnezzar comes because of Zedekiah's rebellion and besieges Jerusalem for a good long while until uh, the point where things got so bad, the famine was so severe, the resistance was starting to break down, the wall finally was breached, and, well... How nobly did Zedekiah and the army stay there and fight for their people? They snuck out the back gate. <laughs> wow, that's really that's really encouraging, isn't it? You know, when your king and uh, officers, you know, military flee. You know, it's kind of like the ship captain being the first one off the ship when it's sinking. You know, that's uh, you know not very gallant, and uh, kind of tells you what Zedekiah was like. But it didn't work. Chaldeans caught him. And uh, they brought uh, Zedekiah to uh, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, at Riblah. And wow, it was cruel punishment they gave him. What did they do? Killed his sons right there before him and then put out his eyes. So the last thing he saw was the death of his children. Yeah, that's, that's a real... Uh, you know, compassionate way to uh, punish somebody. That's just, just, wow, can you imagine what that would have been like? Uh, but of course, he had been warned constantly by Jeremiah and should have realized what was coming. Uh, and so, uh, actually, God had said um, in Ezekiel twelve thirteen. I will also spread my net over him, and he will be caught in my snare, and I will bring him to Babylon in the land of the Chaldeans, yet he will not see it, though he will die there. Now that's a weird prophecy. I'm going to bring him to Babylon, but he won't see it, but he'll die there. And I think if somebody had been studying Ezekiel, <laughs> it would have been like, what? <laughs> you know, how do you bring somebody to Babylon he doesn't see it, but he dies there. Well, this is how. <laughs> Blind him before he gets there. And so that was the, that's what they did. It's just kind of a punishment to Zedekiah for his uh, rebellion. Uh, I mean, 
you know, they had put Zedekiah in to be a loyal servant. Oh, wow. You're getting a computer. Pretty office. So, thoughts and comments. How long he lived? This was his 11th year when they captured him. Yeah, but then does he just die? Oh, yeah, I don't know how long he stayed before he died. How long is he there blind, bound with bronze fetters? I don't know. This is the last that we read of Zedekiah? Yeah, he was taken to Babylon, and that's it, as far as I know. How old was he? He was young. Uh, What was he, 20? He was 21 when he became king, so this would have been, he would have been 32 when he was, Zedekiah lost his eyes. So his sons were young, too. Ish. We determined that Josiah had his kid when he was like 14. Still he's young. They're young. They're younger than 32. He could have had grandkids already. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, but his kids probably weren't any older than teenagers. Yeah. So teenage and younger kids you see put to death in front of your eyes and then you're blind. 18 and younger. Yeah, so those are teenagers. I guess we've got a sign for it, huh? <laughs> no, I don't think so. That means Thank you very much. Have a good one. Salutations. You have something other than salutations. Have a good one. Any hallucinations? These poor UPS drivers and this kind of weather. We have one at the congregation. It's long hours for him. But he did say when it was really treacherous that that his supervisor really insisted with him, your safety is more important than a delivery. We can survive if these things are a day later. Now, normally they're under pressure to deliver, but he said, you know, make sure you're safe. So uh, he appreciated that. But, Glad we got that on record. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, okay. Uh, there are questions and comments about the uh, situation with Zedekiah through verse 7. Had Jerusalem not been uh, besieged before? Well, I don't know when it would have been. Been besieged? Am I forgetting something? Ever? They tried the lepers. With Hezekiah, they were sort of leaning that way, right? Well, I mean, they were threatening him. Rabshakeh threatened him with ends of their life, but I don't know that they ever really besieged it. That was Samaria with the lepers. Yeah. That was Samaria. Right. Are we only talking about Babylon trying to besiege? No, talking about Jerusalem being besieged, not Samaria. I'm thinking of a trench where they were getting water in that way. Oh, that was uh, when they were fighting against the Moabites in Second Kings 3. And they, they, somebody snuck in through the aqueduct, right? Yes, that's, that's what, what I'm thinking. That, that was... <laughs> well, we've got all kinds of things going on. Sneaking into that, Jerusalem. that was that Joab was conquering Jerusalem. Is that what you're thinking about? Now, Hezekiah had an aqueduct also, but I think you're thinking about Joab sneaking in and conquering Jerusalem from the Jebusites back in 2 Samuel 5 and whatever the parallel was. We're trying That's to get Jerusalem being overtaken. <laughs> I was just thinking if, you know, there was already half a ramp built or something when they come. <laughs> I don't know. You would assume that if your city gets besieged and you survive it, you dismantle the... Uh, <laughs> You know, well, <laughs> besiegement <we're> aids. <laughs> 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 
But no, I don't. I can't think of a time when they were. So, but they're a bad deal. They get besieged, though. I mean, because it just starved you out. So if they were persistent in it. Anything else to verse seven? Okay, so am I just like thinking of something secular, where they came in through the water and in some kind of a, then they popped out of like a. I'm thinking of Babylon and the overthrow of Babylon by the Medo-Persians where they dammed up the river, came in through the aqueducts underneath and got them. Like they came out of a horse or something. That was the Trojan horse. Yes! That was in Greece and that was like secular. I think it was in Greece. Okay. Yeah, it was Troy. Or Troy against Sparta. Well, I'm confusing that with what you're saying though with... Okay, that was definitely not biblical, but it's historical. What was Troy fighting? Helen of Troy and Troy was fighting somebody, and it was the the uh, horse was delivered to Troy or by Troy. Horse. Was delivered by Troy That's what I to the to whoever they were fighting okay. against. So when was this? That would have been what the Trojan Atlanta. horse. Yeah. That would have been the three hundred four hundred. Yeah, probably eighty. <laughs> no, BC. BC. So it's after this. this. Well, it's, 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 that's not recorded anywhere. No. no. We are this reminds me of uh, these, these uh, stories they give where somebody goes everywhere preaching the word. Just kind of emerges <laughs> <laughs> all kinds of stories. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the Aeneid would be the book to read on that one. But I'm thinking I'm getting it Nebuchadnezzar I thought it was a woman. <laughs> 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 He's supposed to be dead. <laughs> wow. Okay, well, Lisa, and that makes We have digressed. <laughs> 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 you walk in in the middle of something. Prepare. <laughs> <laughs> you should have been here for the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's probably okay. <laughs> this won't sound like we missed much. <laughs> <laughs> you missed a lot. <laughs> I mean, I'm studying this second section. We learned the definition of digress. Yes, okay. So, well, let's um, press forward. Uh, 8 to 21 here. Chapter 25. Now on the seventh day of the fifth month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord, the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem, even every great house he burned with fire. So all the army of the Chaldeans who were with them, the captain of the guard, broke down the walls around Jerusalem. Then the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon and the rest of the people, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away into exile. But the captain of the guard left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. Now the bronze pillars, which were in the house of the Lord, and the stands of the bronze sea, which were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke into pieces and carried the bronze to Babylon. They took away the pots, the shovels, the snuffers, the spoons, and all the bronze vessels, which were used in the temple service. The captain of the guard also took away the fire pans and the basins, what was fine gold and what was fine silver, the two pillars, the one sea, and the stands which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord. The bronze of all of these vessels was beyond weight. The height of the gold, the height of the one pillar with 18 cubits and a bronze capital is on it. The height of the capital was three cubits with a network of pomegranates on the capital all around all of bronze. And the second pillar was like these with network. 
Then the captain of the guard took Sariah, the chief priest of Zephaniah, the second priest, with the three officers of the temple from the city. He took one official who was overseer of the men of war and five of the king's advisors who were found in the city, and the scribe of the captain of the army who mustered the people of the land, the sixty men of the people of the land who were found in the city. Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took them and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. Then the king of Babylon struck them down and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamasa. So Judah was led away in exile from his land. All right, so this is really just giving the details of the destruction of Jerusalem, which was really severe in every way. Nebuzaradan was the captain that more or less handled this, oversaw it, so he burned the temple, burned the palace, burned all the important houses in the city, broke down the wall around Jerusalem, and uh, exiled the people into captivity. Um, He took all the stuff of the temple, the stuff that was too big, too bulky to be carried off as a whole, they broke into pieces to carry away, but he got a bunch of bronze stuff and some other stuff uh, out of the temple. And uh, so, and he kills the officials and the leaders and things like that. So, you know, this is just such a disgrace. I mean, this city of God that the Jews thought was unable to be taken was actually not only taken, it was burned, it was dishonored and disgraced and desecrated, and the people were taken into exile from their land. So, you know, this is about as uh, thorough a punishment as you can get. I mean, more or less the same thing happens here to Jude and Jerusalem what happened to Israel and Samaria 140 years before. Um, so this is the third wave, but this is most everybody you know, in this third wave of captivity at around 586 or so. Comments and questions on... Where is Ribla? Ribla was up there near the Euphrates River. It was uh, uh, real uh, real close to that. I, I, I forget. There's a, there's a misspelling somewhere. I think Ribla's right. And there's somewhere where it was mistranscribed as Dibla. But I think I think Ribla is the right one. Sometimes I forget which is the right one, which is the wrong one. But it was up there, way way up above Syria. So you know, Ribla would be like the very northern limit of that whole area. So it was closer to Babylon because they come around from that direction. So that's where Nebuchadnezzar was uh, at this point. This note says seventy-five miles north of Damascus. Okay, yeah. So, other questions. So the <coughs> the poorest of the land who were left, they were to be vine dressers and plowmen. In other words, they were supposed to keep the weeds. Yeah, I mean, they were supposed to farm the land. You know, and, and I think the point of that is, well, you know, you want somebody in there to pay tribute. I mean, you know, at least for the agricultural pro- products. I mean. So that, that's what they'll do. I mean, just get a few, you know, enough people to basically work the ground and pay the tribute, you know, based on that. And not let all the the great vineyards that they have go to waste and right. the land become... A jungle. Like you were saying, overgrown with weeds. And right, everything. exactly. Yeah, that's not, it's not going to pay anything to Babylon if they do that. You know, you always want good farmland to, you know, be, be harvested. 
it's interesting that at, near the beginning of First Kings, you see all this stuff with the temple being constructed, and at the end of Second Kings, you see it all torn down. Yes. It's kind of sad. It's very sad. It is. Because there was so much emphasis, I mean... Even you think about Chronicles standpoint, all the emphasis in First Chronicles on all the preparation for the temple and, and all that. I mean, there was a lot that went into the temple. That was such a big thing. And well, it's gone. How long did Nebuchadnezzar reign? 43 years, if I'm not mistaken, from 605 to 562. So over half of the time Babylon was really an empire. Other thoughts? So why, why, what's the point of all these people that he took back? The priests and the captains and some of the king's people and then put them to death. Well, I think he's just killing the bigger leaders. You know, those. They, didn't, they didn't do that the previous time. Um, took everybody, all the craftsmen and the men of valor and this time they come in and... Do you suppose he's more upset with them this time? Because, I mean, the first time, Jehoiachin surrendered right away. That's right. Yeah, this time he had to... I thought he'd fight him. <laughs> but this is ten years later. Yeah, 11, or, yeah. 11 years later, yeah. Eight years. Eleven. <laughs> uh, let's see. That first two was the eleventh year of Zedekiah. Right. Oh, I got the wrong king. Yeah, the the other time was... And it was the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar, so we go... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> 11 to 19, that's eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how many years? It was 11 years after he captured Zedekiah. Well, after he captured Jehoiachin. From Jehoiachin's capture to Zedekiah's capture was 11 years. Okay. Zedekiah reigns 11. So this is... All the same. Yes. The same time that yes. Zedekiah was captured. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, I see what you did. Now the nineteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, but you know, I it's guess sometimes confusing whose year it was <laughs> when right. you go reading right. through. But right. this one does say it, w it would be handy if you know we just had the BC times already in there for us. <laughs> yeah. That basically obviously didn't happen yet. So, but Nebuchadnezzar became king about six oh five. So his eighteenth year would be your nineteenth year would be what to about five eighty six, I guess is right. All right, anything else through uh, twenty one? There's a note here that suggests these guys that um, the captain of the guard <coughs> rounded up were ringleaders in the revolt or leaders in defending the city. So okay. Makes sense to me. Just a possibility of why they were targeted. Nebuchadnezzar was probably none too pleased he had to besiege the city this long before they gave in. I mean, you know. And didn't it take a couple of years? Yeah, it did. And sieges are no fun. Oh, I mean, you know, it's just wasting Babylonian resources on a nation they thought they'd humbled enough that they'd never resist. You know, that's kind of frustrating. They should have exiled them all, you know, looking back in retrospect, you know. So they thought they could trust Zedekiah, and they thought they'd crippled them, but 
never underestimate the stubbornness of the Jews. So in verse 1, is that the ninth year of Zedekiah? That's correct. That's when he came and started the siege. Until the 11th year. That's right. Verse 2. And then verse 8 is the 19th year of of a different guy. Right, exactly. (laughs) All right, well, 22 to 30. Let's go ahead and read the rest of it. As for the people who are left in the land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left, he appointed Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, over them. When all the captains of the forces, they and their men, heard that the king of Babylon had, appa- had appointed Gedaliah governor, they came to Gedaliah to Mizpah, namely Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and Johanan, the son of Kareah, and Sariah, the son of Tehenumeth, the Netophathite, and Jazaniah, the son of Machathite, the son of the Machathite. They and their men... Gedaliah swore to them and their men, and said to them, Do not be afraid of the servants of the Chaldeans. Live in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it will be well with you. But it came about in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, of the royal family, came with ten men and struck Gedaliah down, so that he died, along with the Jews and the Chaldeans who were with him at Mizpah. Then all the people, both small and great, and the captains of the forces, arose and went to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Chaldeans. Now it came about in the thirty-seventh year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the twelfth month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he became king, released Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. And he spoke kindly to him, and set his throne above the throne of the kings who were with him in Babylon. Jehoiachin changed his prison clothes, and had his meals in the king's presence regularly, all the days of his life. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king, a portion for each day, all the days of his life. So, um, those who were left in the land uh, are going to be overseen by Gedaliah that Nebuchadnezzar appoints as governor. Now, Gedaliah was the son of Ahikam. Ahikam protected Jeremiah in Jeremiah 26, 24. The grandson of Shaphan. Shaphan was a leader in the uh, restoration of Josiah. Uh, we'll see him starting in Second Kings 22-3 and uh, on through there. Uh, so, Gedaliah was from a good family. Gedaliah has a couple of good uncles. There was a, um, a man in Second Kings 29 and another one, no, in Jeremiah 29, another one in Jeremiah 36, who were uncles to Gedaliah who were faithful to God. We know a lot about that family. Gedaliah has one black sheep uncle, Jazaniah, from Ezekiel uh, 8, that was a renegade. But overall, Gedaliah was from a good family, and he's appointed to be the governor to sort of oversee these poorest people of the land who are caretaking the crops. Now, there were some kind of refugee leaders, people who had fled away from Jerusalem at, uh, I suppose, prior to the siege. And they've got little guerrilla bands, you know, with them. And they, once they find out that uh, Gedaliah has been appointed governor, they start coming back to Jerusalem. People like Ishmael and Johanan 
and uh, another Jazaniah, and so forth and so on. There's several of them that come, and so they just go to sort of join forces with Gedaliah. Now, there's tons more information on this whole period in Jeremiah. You know, basically, Jeremiah 40 to 44 gives a lot of details that we don't have here. Um, but but we know that Gedaliah told them, essentially, if you'll behave yourselves, I mean, Babylon's not going to mess with us, and we can just live a normal life. And uh, that's basically what he says here, also in verse 24. Um, so, so that looks like it's going to go just fine. I mean... So you've got a few more people added to the number of the Jews that are in Jerusalem area. But Galilee is overseeing them. Everything's going along well until Ishmael ends up killing Gedaliah. He actually also kills some Babylonian guards and flees. Now, there's a long story about that. Johanan actually knew Ishmael was going to do it. He warned Gedaliah and offered to bump him off, and Gedaliah wouldn't let him. He didn't believe him. And Ishmael was actually eating with Gedaliah when he killed him. So that was a real, you know, real difficult thing, because, I mean, good lad. I mean, of all things, now we assassinate the governor of Babylon and appoint it over these, this remnant. So they're scared to death. They figure Babylon's going to come in and, you know, really wipe them out. So they end up deciding to go down to Egypt for protection, which was the worst possible thing they could do. And and they they actually come to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 42, and they say, Jeremiah, we just want to know what the Lord wants. And we'll do anything he says. You just find out what the Lord wants us to do. And Jeremiah finds out, don't go to Egypt. And they're like, it's a lie. That's not what God told you. That's what Baruch, your secretary, told you. It wasn't God that told you that. So that they could justify going down to Egypt, which is what they do. So they willfully reverse the exodus. <laughs> and they just add a few more to the number of Jews in exile. Now these uh, in a dead-end Egyptian exile. And uh, furthermore, what Jeremiah tells him, which was true... Won't, won't get him away from Nebuchadnezzar anyway, because Nebuchadnezzar ends up invading Egypt. So, so much for trying to avoid Nebuchadnezzar by fleeing down to Egypt. But, uh, but that's what they end up doing. So, so it's just really, you know, a depressing end for Judah uh, through from twenty-two to twenty-six. Thoughts and comments on all that. So, who was it that warned Gedaliah about Israel? Johanan. He's not mentioned here. Right? He is mentioned here. Uh, verse uh, 23. Okay, so who's the royal family? But he's not mentioned as warning him here. That's correct. That's, okay, that's what I meant. Uh, where are we looking? Ishmael was of the royal family, verse 25. Uh, well, who's royal anymore? <laughs> I guess he must have been. I hadn't really noticed that. I assume that means, was he a relative of... You know, Josiah and company? I assume. I don't know. Hmm. I hadn't paid any attention to that. So. And then... Did Ishmael do this just because he... He was in league, according to Johanan, with the Ammonite king. And he tries to flee to Ammon. Uh, you know. So what's the point of that? I don't know. I don't know what the Ammonite king was trying to accomplish with this. But. Was, I mean, it was 
an opportunity for Ishmael and any any still existing nation around to grab this area. Maybe know? so. He fled to the king of Ammon, and perhaps the Ammonites thought they could take over this territory. I don't know. And they mm-hmm. were in... Ammon was raiding against them in Jehoiakim's day. That's correct. No, and they were in Mizpah, which they seemed to go back to Mizpah a lot. Mizpah's a pretty important place, isn't it? Yeah. yeah we've had that for a long time. long time. So they finally get weak enough that every any little king could come in and conquer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So after Babylon's carried away three waves of people and numerous kings, then Ammon's like, ah, now we can take them. (laughs) That may be the mentality. I wouldn't put it past him. I single-handedly killed a mouse. (laughs) (laughs) Mouse of the tribe of Judah. So now, in the 37th year of Jehoiachin's exile, remember he was in the second wave, uh, evil Merodach was the Babylonian king, and he releases Jehoiachin from prison, and basically has him eat at the royal table regularly, and gives him a royal stipend. Uh, which, uh, wow, that's interesting. I mean, it gives you some hope. I mean, it's like, this is not a dead end. Jehoiachin, remember, would be the last king in the lineage leading to Jesus. Zedekiah was not in Jesus' lineage. So Jehoiachin was kind of like the, you know, the last hope, and, and things are looking up when the Babylonians release him and start treating him with some dignity. I mean, they don't have their land, they don't have their nation, they don't have their kingdom, but there's still some hope. I mean, you know, this king is, is elevated and exalted in some ways and taken care of by the Babylonians. And, uh, you know, I believe Zerubbabel will, will be, I think, Jehoiachin's grandson, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, anyhow, this kind of just ends on what I would consider a more positive note, a more hopeful note. You know, not a no, nothing big, but at least better than it might have been. Thoughts and comments. All right. Well, uh, I guess we can try to work on Joshua next. That goes. Um, Next week. As far as I know. Okay.